Welcome to Legacy Sport Live, stories of the people who are shaping the conversation at the intersection of sport, business and purpose. I'm Neil Duffy, co-author of our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Today, together with my co-author Fabian Paget, we talk to Alan Jope, Chief Executive Officer of Unilever. Unilever's sustainability plan sets the bar for the new way of doing business, one that delivers growth by serving society and the planet. Alan shares his business insights with us, as well as examples of Unilever brands that have embedded purpose in their sports sponsorship investments. I mean, Alan, we know, we know that you are a, a passionate of sports. And where, where did this passion uh, start for you? And how, how does sports play a, a role in your life right now? I, I grew up uh, in a kind of middle-class family in, uh, in Glasgow. And uh, I went to a, a fee-paying school, uh, nothing fancy. Uh, I think my childhood was marked by a very nice, normal, stable family background and uh, an, a mediocre academic performance, reasonable uh, uh, sporting capability. So the, the things that I spent a lot of time on uh, when I was a, a youngster in my teenage years was playground uh, football, uh, a little bit more organized rugby. That was the thing I did a lot of was rugby as a, as a kid, training three-ish, maybe four times a week and competitive game at least once a week during the season. Uh, very proud to have represented Scotland at uh, schoolboy level. And uh, then in the summer months, uh, as with everyone in Scotland, uh, was banished by my parents to the golf course and uh, uh, used to hack around the golf course for uh, hours and hours and hours on end. So, you know, football, rugby and golf were an extremely big part of my uh, uh, growing up. Uh, in fact, a lot of my, uh, the only schoolboy friends that I've still got um, were really um, uh, friends from the rugby pitch. Didn't do a lot of sport at, uh, at university and in the early days of my career. Um, but to this day now, I still play old guy uh, football. I had to stop playing rugby at 31. I wasn't good enough and was losing fitness, couldn't commit to the training. When we moved to Thailand, actually, to live in Thailand, I started playing more serious uh, football, and I still play uh, veterans soccer in Bangkok. I played in America uh, when we went there. I played in, in Shanghai, I played quite a lot in Singapore, and uh, managed to find a team in London that play uh, 11 aside veterans footy on a Saturday afternoon when I'm in town. Um, and it's, uh, I love it. And then apart from that, I also am a complete sports addict when it comes to uh, uh, TV. Um, really, to be honest with you, any kind of sport, but particularly football and Six Nations rugby. Uh, yeah, really missing that at the moment. And then from a business perspective, um, I, I obviously we'll talk a bit more about it in, in, as we go into this, but uh, I'm thrilled that sport is something that many of our brands have chosen to uh, integrate into their plans. So Alan, some, it's uh, something we have in common because I'm also a, a retired wannabe rugby player. Did you represent Scotland at rugby school boys or football school boys? Rugby, uh, Scottish okay. school rugby. So when was that? When, what year was that? Oh, that would have been 19... 
8081. Okay, well, we must have just missed each other because I also represented my country, Zimbabwe, in schoolboys rugby. I was captain of the Zimbabwe schools team and we played Scotland and we lost. We must have just missed each other by a year I, or two. I don't think I played in that game. I played against uh, West of Scotland men's, uh, Wales and Ireland. Well, it's a small world. So, um, so, so a great starting point to this conversation that, that sport is something that you're so passionate about. But I, you know, I know that something else that you're also passionate about is purpose. In your, new, in your new role at Unilever, you're following in the footsteps of one of the, shall we call him one of the Avengers of purpose? I mean, uh, yeah. Paul Palman is one of, the, one of the guys that really set the, set the trail and, and, and led by example, taking Unilever down this purpose journey. As you now step into his boots, so to speak, and you look forward the next 10 years, what's the plan at Unilever around purpose and how you're going to continue to build on the legacy that Alan, uh, that Paul has left? Yeah, um, so Paul did an unbelievably good job um, on bringing you know, his passion and uh, around uh, sustainability actually uh, was really where it started more than, than purpose. And in that regard, he did build on a very old legacy. Um, Unilever has been a purposeful business for, you know, well over 100 years. Um, back in the mid to late 1800s, when William Lever was uh, founding uh, Lever Brothers, he wrote down and, and often spoke about the mission of the firm um, as being to make cleanliness commonplace and lessen the load for women. Now, he was when he said cleanliness commonplace, he was talking about eradicating diseases like cholera. And, you know, gosh, that sure resonates these days. And then, you know, we, we often uh, take inspiration from him describing um, lessening the load for women. In a way, he was an early feminist. And he's, if you go back and look in his speeches, um, he often talked about work with meaning and treating, you know, people his employees as, uh, as, as important members of his team and not just uh, units of labor. So he built this beautiful model village in Port Sunlight where there's pubs and clubs and beautiful houses to houses workers back in um, uh, Victorian Britain, quite unusual. When his workers went off to fight in the First World War, not only did he hold their jobs open for them, which was quite unusual, he paid their wages to their families when they were all fighting, which was unprecedented. So there's a long thread of DNA and Paul did a sensational job um, of bringing that back really into the foreground of the company over the last 10 years. You know, the business case for sustainability we think is very well proven. Uh, brands that are our purposeful brands are growing faster year after year. Um, our, we believe it takes cost out of the business. So if, if sustainability is about using less resources, it's kind of logical that it takes cost out and we can trace at the moment, we think about 800 million euros of uh, avoided cost through sustainable sourcing, um, including green electricity. It's a trigger for innovation. You can see many products that have been innovations that have come through uh, this commitment to sustainability. And last but by no means least, it is an absolute magnet for talent. Our employer brand has never been stronger. Um, in fact, we have a management recruitment, uh, graduate recruitment program in 54 countries around the world. And in our sector, we're the number one employer of choice for graduates coming out, uh, out of university in 52 of those 54 countries a few years ago, that was in the teens. 
And uh, so there's a whole generation of people who have joined Unilever precisely because of our uh, purposeful approach to business. Uh, when, when I took the job, um, the leadership team and I said we wanted the company to become even more famous for three things, which is for people to be green with envy on our stable of uh, purposeful brands. Uh, secondly, to have sealed the business case, uh, the Harvard Business School case study on how purposeful business leads to better financial performance. And the third is to be a beacon for diversity and inclusion in business. That's what my leadership team and I would love to do over the coming years is really leave those three um, things in place. Very interesting. Thank you, Alan. My turn. Uh, we are having this, this conversation now at a time where we are facing a, a challenging uh, issue with the COVID crisis. But uh, we, we also believe it's a great time for, for purposeful leaders and organizations to pursue their commitment to do, to do good and do well. And uh, I wanted to come back on the initiative you started at the end of March uh, with the UK government uh, in order to tackle and to slow down the, the expansion of the virus to help people and to, to tackle the spread of the virus. Can you, can you tell me, uh, tell us, sorry, uh, a bit more about it? Sure. We've operated uh, the business on what we call this multi-stakeholder model for a long time now. That is predicated on the assumption that if we serve consumers well, and if we take care of our customers, and if we look after our employees, and if we do all that in a way that contributes positively to society, and that we become net positive on our impact on the planet, uh, then as a result of all of that, the sixth stakeholder, which is um, shareholders, will be well rewarded. We've, we believe that we believe that for a long time, and we believe it even more uh, in these times of crisis. So in thinking through our response to the coronavirus crisis, we wanted to take a multi-stakeholder model. Now, being no doubt, this is an unprecedented health and economic disaster that will be bad news for Unilever. We're all in uncharted waters here, but we decided very, very quickly that we wanted to um, secure lives and livelihoods um, by being very proactive on looking after the health of our employees. So we issued a global mandatory work for home, from home uh, order to all, all 70,000 office-based employees that we have before it had been enforced anywhere uh, except China. Um, we um, stepped up the levels of um, hygiene in our factories and for our frontline field salespeople uh, to a remarkable level to take care of their health. But we also made a commitment that uh, we would guarantee jobs and incomes for Unilever employees and some of our associated partners like the, the cleaners and the guards and the cafeteria workers who actually work for a third party, but they're so much part of our team. We guaranteed jobs and incomes for three months uh, for those group, that group of people. So that was the first thing was protecting lives and livelihoods. The second thing we said was, look, we can use our financial strength to secure the health of small businesses that we work with. Um, and so we made available, we have made available 500 million euros of um, working capital through early payment, in particular early payment of small and vulnerable suppliers who face uh, liquidity issues and could go out of business. Um, so we're going to uh, pay them promptly 
um, using our strong balance sheet. And then the third thing was uh, donations and our contribution to communities around the world, where we, it's a bit confusing. There's two 100 million euro sums. The first is a flat out donation of 100 million euros of product, where we will give food and hygiene products to um, organizations around the world um, like the WHO, like the UK National Health Service uh, to help those most in need. Um, and then there's a separate 100 million euro partnership which, which is being executed with the UK government Department for International Development or DFID, where they will chip in 50 million of, uh, of cash and we'll put in 50 million of product and in-kind services to drive good hand-washing behavior around the world. So in some emerging market economies, until we have a vaccine against this virus, uh, good hand-washing actually remains the best first line of defense when coupled with social isolating or social distancing behavior. And so I know that's a long answer, but we've taken action on the health and well-being of our employees, saving lives and livelihoods, uh, we've taken action with our balance sheet to support the small business community, and we've taken action to on product donations and private sector, government, NGO partnerships to drive good hygiene and good hand washing behavior. That's amazing, and th thank you for everything that you do. I mean, it's, uh, you're, you're kind of behaving like a like a small nation state or a big nation state in many yeah, respects. Yeah. So. Really, really appreciate that. Very inspiring, right? One of the things, Alan, that you that you talk about repeatedly is um, Unilever's people. So we talk about stakeholders, and one of those, an important constituent of that group are, are your people. And I, I've read somewhere that 90% of people who work at Unilever are proud to work at Unilever. That That's an amazing um, percentage. To, to what extent do you prescribe the commitment to purpose as driving some of that loyalty and some of that, that pride? Uh, we have got um, unequiv unequivocal uh, data around that. So the first is that since we start, I've already mentioned the first data point, which is the um, extraordinary development of our employer brand um, on campus. Um, the more we've put uh, sustainability and purposeful business at the forefront of uh, what Unilever stands for, the stronger our reputation amongst uh, prospective employees is. That's uh, the first thing. Second is we've run 40,000 people through something we call a purpose workshop where it helps you figure out what makes you tick as an individual and you know what your individual purpose might be. So you know, I took two goes at it to, fig to figure out what mine uh, was. Um, and what we've discovered is that amongst employees who, are, who have been through that purpose workshop and are able to align their own personal mission with the work that they do, there's an incredible step up in things like probability of recommending Unilever as an employer, lower attrition, um, higher levels of um, recommending Unilever to a friend or family. And the aggregate picture of that is that about 90% of our employees are proud to work for Unilever. And I think it's reflective of what we see with consumers, which is particularly millennials and Gen Zennials um, are increasingly making brand choices based on the purposefulness of the brand. 
Um, and you know, the way they articulate that is that they can see how the brand is going beyond just selling features and benefits to taking action, which is good for society or the planet. And you know, we shouldn't forget that our employees and the consumers that we are proud to sell our products to are kind of one and the same. And so we, we think there's a very strong business case between uh, linking, um, trying to do business in the right way and a strong proposition for our team members. That's really powerful. Uh, and, and I'm sure I'm, you, you help these people and every aspect of their lives because once you have your personal purpose, it drives everything you do as a person. It does. And, uh, you know, it, it is highly inspiring uh, listening to a group of uh, our, our team, our, our colleagues and friends talking about when they're over, able, able to overlap their personal purpose with the work that they do. Um, it is extremely uh, inspiring to hear, hear people talk about that. Absolutely. Alan, uh, coming back to, to sports, uh, of course, I mean, we, we know that Unilever is, uh, is heavily involved in, uh, in the sports industry, especially as a partner of, uh, of, of many football clubs. What is your view on, on, on the fact and how the sports industry is understanding purpose? Do you feel that the sports uh, sector is, uh, is advanced or behind the purpose, uh, the purpose revolution? So let me back up just a little bit and frame that because the change that we're, that I believe we're going through um, over the last three or four years is a seismic change in what marketing uh, is. For, you know, a hundred years or more, the branded consumer goods uh, industry didn't change that much in the way that we uh, developed mass solution, mass market brands sold in mass market channels using mass media. And that was the kind of the model. And basically technology is allowing uh, that model to be disintermediated and disrupted. So we now are having to talk to very much more tightly segmented groups of consumers. I mean, I remember when you would write a media plan for you know women aged 18 to 35, that is farcical now. I mean, we're, we, we target so much more tightly than that. And I remember when, you know, if you didn't have a media budget of 10 or $20 million uh, in the US, it wasn't really worth going on air. But now uh, the internet allows you to really do a pay-as-you-go spend and target much more tightly. One of the things that's happening is people are able to uh, screen out advertising um, that's not relevant or interesting to them. Technology gives people the ability to do that. And so we're shifting a lot of our um, marketing mix away from forced consumption of advertising messages into content that people choose to engage with. And the best content for that is passion points. Now, you know, what are passion points? Well, surprise, surprise, uh, young men and young women are very interested in the dating game. Um, and unfortunately, you know, some stereotypes do play through on this. Women are very interested in beauty and fashion. Um, a lot of, you know, at an aggregate level, uh, men who are also interested in beauty and fashion as well are, ultra, are interested in gaming and sports. Um, and so I think it's that realization that we've got to shift our our way of, of, of marketing our brands away from interruption-based models of advertising 
to content-based models rooted in people's passion points. And it's in that context that we've recently, or over the last few years, stepped up um, our engagement in sports as part of our marketing mix. Um, and I still would say that we're not a big player in sports marketing. We're still feeling our way in and learning how you do it. But the way to think about it is that it's a, a passion point for many people where you, we want our brands to show up in a relevant way. I can go on and talk. Let me pause there um, because the next thing would be then to say, okay, having said that, sports is a passion point. Um, how would you do it in a, a purposeful way? Uh, but, it, but let me pause there and check that that makes sense uh, before going on to talk about sports and, and purpose. Yeah, it does 100%. And I, I think you've, you've asked the question that I was going to ask next, which is, you know, given that Unilever is and your brands are so purposeful in their positioning, the value they add to the world. So sport in, in undeniably is a, is a passion point, but does it serve your um, commitment to purpose in terms of how it's presented at the moment? Yeah, there's a, there's a spectrum. I think, uh, the, the best example would be something like um, Dove Men Plus Care uh, working with uh, Global Rugby, um, which I have to put in the disclaimer now, I had nothing to do with setting up that partnership. Uh, it was an organic thing that came out. Um, and Dove Men Plus Care's platform is about uh, the importance of men playing a caring role in society, breaking out of stereotypes of machismo. And, in, and the kind of focal point of it is uh, caring for their children. And uh, one of the things that WM Plus Care has done is, is really campaigned for paternity leave for men uh, because we know it makes them better fathers uh, when men take paternity leave. And it, you know, this kind of sense of caring and respect is uh, Neil, you'll recognize it's very constant with rugby's values of uh, respect for your, your teammates, respect for yourself, respect for the game, respect for the rules and respect for the officials. Um, and uh, having uh, world-class rugby stars um, talk about their caring role as a parent as well um, has been unbelievably good for the brand. Um, and so in that regard, it's a very, very good fit. Another one would be um, Rexona. Uh, Rexona's purpose is, uh, it believes that um, you know, in, a, in the context of too many people leading too sedentary lives, uh, which we think is, you know, it's, a, it's a problem in society, probably even more so in the current locked down context. Rexona believes that the more you move, the more you live. Um, and uh, are trying to get uh, uh, more people involved in grassroots sports um, and uh, have, have got involved in things like uh, uh, dance groups and, and, uh, and, and pop bands, um, but also supporting um, uh, soccer or football, depending where you are in the world, and, so, and using uh, football as a platform to encourage people to, uh, to move more. Mm -hmm. So, so would it be fair to say that a sponsorship um, undertaken by Unilever in 2020 has different um, expectations to one maybe 10 years ago and that you're much more focused on actually 
using your sponsorships to drive positive behaviors and positive actions as opposed to just drive brand awareness? Correct. So we, um, uh, we want our sponsorships to sync 100% with the uh, purpose propositions of our brands. Um, and we're much more interested in the content that can be generated through the sponsorship than simply the awareness that can be generated through uh, signage and, and badges and things. So, um, and then just building on, on that, Alan, so the, um, the best sponsorships for Unilever today are the ones that are uh, purposeful by nature and with partners that also get purpose. Correct. And I must say, we've been impressed with um, things like the rugby unions around the world, the various football clubs and associations that we've been partnering with. They, they really... Uh, authentically seek to understand what the the brand uh, need is and what the brand is trying to do and so as we've become more sophisticated in how we think about sport and sponsorships and partnerships so we found our our good sports partners have become more sophisticated about understanding what they're trying to do uh, with brands and when we get approached by sports assets that simply pitch it on the uh you know here's a good value for money awareness building um uh uh proposition it, that's a very easy no alan last question um given what you what you're saying uh in your view what uh, what sports can do better in, when it comes to purpose what sports can do better or what can sports do better? Can do, can do better. Yeah, so I, I think um, uh, it's exactly like one of Unilever's brands, which is to understand authentically how the, the, the intrinsic nature of that sport can contribute back to society or the environment. And let me illustrate what I mean. I, we don't believe in corporate philanthropy. We don't believe in a corporate foundation um, because just giving money away is not sustainable. Um, we're only interested in driving uh, our brands harder in a way that they genuinely give back to society or the planet. And sometimes I get the question, well, why aren't all your brands purposeful? And the answer is because it's not easy to find that intersection between good for the brand, good for the brand's consumers and good for society or the planet. And it, for it to be then authentic and durable, we have to have a 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 year mindset on uh, the associate, you know, Volvo is such a wonderful brand of car uh, when, it, when it stood for years on one proposition of safety. Um, and I think, you know, when they moved away from that, they struggled. So in the same way, we need, you know, multi-decade propositions for our brands that are genuinely purposeful. And I think sports franchises and teams and propositions need to find the same thing. And if a sport says, look, as part of our work, we are going to um, make a donation to a good cause, 
that is not purposeful. Yeah. When a sport understands how it can genuinely help in a community or on a societal issue, uh, then I uh, then it's it's going down the right tracks. And it's this it's this question of is purpose truly integrated into the work of that sport or that team franchise, um, or is it something that's just been bolted on? And if it's just been bolted on, it's not a valuable it's not of value to Unilever. I mean, we, we, we really agree 100% and, uh, and that's exactly our mission uh, at 17 Sports. Uh, Nell, do you, have a, do you have another question? or No, I, I just want to say thank you, Alan. It's been a um, fascinating half an hour. It's amazing how quickly time flies when you're having fun. Um, thank you for sharing uh, you know, great insights, sharing the Unilever story with us and I think what you said in the, you know, the, the, the response to the last question there is really sums it all up in terms of what sport can learn from um, Unilever's experience in purpose. Well, and you know, we're wide open to learn from great, uh, great sports ideas as well um, on this basis of uh, you know, people don't so much care about advertising as, as useful or cool content these days. Uh, oh yeah, let's, uh, let's turn the videos on to see, uh, see our, uh, our farewells. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, we're also in learning mode all the time on, uh, and we have some wonderful partners, uh, on the, helping us on this journey, um, agencies that really have helped us to kind of think this through and work it through. So God bless you. Um, uh, we all need this coronavirus thing to get under control so that we can get back to some good sport yeah. for our own personal sanity, uh, as well as our commercial interests. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Legacy Sport Live, the companion podcast series to our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Please visit our website at www.legacysport.org to order your copy of the book and join our growing community of sports business professionals committed to doing good while doing well through sport.